0: It's a landmine. (laughs) G.I. Robot sacrificed himself, not just for us, but for every mother and child back on the home front. Let's make sure his sacrifice was not in vain. Now let's take that hill, easy company!
1: Yeah! Hello, and welcome to a special episode of FW Presents. The anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This episode, we're celebrating Veterans Day and hashtag War Comics Month. This gives us the chance to celebrate the fantastic genre of war comics and also say thank you in our own geeky way to veterans in our podcasting community. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable sad sack. And with me is that lovable grunt, Combat Kelly. How you doing, buddy?
2: How you doing, Shag? You'll notice that I changed uh, my name in the notes. You had something else, but I, I, I had bulldozer. It. Bulldozer. I changed it to Combat Kelly because everyone remembers Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, but very few people remember Combat Kelly and his Dirty Dozen. They're briefly running Marvel Comics War series, and I want to want to try to bring that back. So call me Combat Kelly for the length of this episode.
1: Will do combat, Kelly. Thank Are you, you making that up, or is that really a thing?
2: No, that's really a thing. It's okay, a I, yeah,
1: I've never heard of it. Well, <laughs> Again, that's, never, it. Never, that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> I never heard of Big Eto Tool a few years ago either. So, here we go. We <laughs> learn something every day. <laughs>
2: that was a real, real series, yeah. So, of course, over on Digest Cast in previous years, uh, we've done special episodes surrounding Veterans Day and the War Comics Month. Uh, but this year we wanted to expand our options of what war comics we were going to be uh, covering. So we moved away from just the DC Digest and opened up uh, the field to any war comic.
1: And that means I did exactly that and picked a DC comic anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> Rob picked a Marvel one, so that works. So for those Granted of you who are in out. A- all right. For those of you international listeners, you might be wondering what exactly is Veterans Day. You have probably heard it reference. So basically what it is here in the United States, it's a public holiday. It's held on the anniversary of the end of World War I, which is November 11th, to honor U.S. veterans and victims of all wars. Now, in 1954, Veterans Day replaced the previous holiday, Armistice Day. So a lot of you might know it better as that term. Now, we all know that this is a very politically divided country right now. Uh, It's not fun for any of us, really. However, I believe that we can all come together in thanking the men and women of the United States Armed Forces who have put their lives on the line to protect our country and our freedom. So to all the veterans out there, you have our respect and our appreciation. Thank you very much.
2: Yes, and a very special Happy Veterans Day to my dad, Petty Officer, Second Class
1: John Kelly. Aw, that's awesome. I didn't realize that. That's fantastic. So, uh, now, when we, when, whenever we join in on hashtag War Comics Month, and I'm using that term on purpose, folks, uh, we'd like to thank our buddy Luke Giaconetti for kicking off this annual celebration. So, uh, several years back, Luke came up with this idea to honor and celebrate service and sacrifices of our veterans, as well as sort of shine a light on War Comics. So, uh, Luke had also observed, sort of interestingly enough, that a lot of the creators of War Comics, especially in the Silver and Bronze Age, were, in fact, veterans themselves. So, he came up with this idea of reading war comics during the month of november using the hashtag war comics month and just talking about it on social media so like uh in addition to luke i want to give a shout out to just a few other very active war comics month supporters professor alan quarterbin kirk spencer and i was joe just to name a few so remember folks we encourage all comic fans to go out there find some war comics Use the hashtag WarComicsMonth on social media. Talk about your favorite war comics throughout November. It's a fun activity, and it's a really neat genre. If you haven't spent much time reading them, God, there are some amazing war comics out there. Now, before we get too much further, we probably do need to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of FW Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. So come back, Kelly, what'd you bring?
2: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So related to the story I'm going to be talking about, uh, I picked the Nam. Trade paperback, volume three. This uh, collects the uh, series, the Marvel comic series, the Nam, uh, which ran for something like eight years, uh, which is kind of an amazing run. This collects Nam numbers twenty-one through thirty, plus material from Savage Tales number one, uh, which is what I'm going to be talking about. And nice. Savage, Savage Tales number four. The writer is Doug Murray. The artists are Sam Glansman, Michael Golden, yes, and Wayne Van Sant. Uh, the cover is by Ron Wagner. It's 248 pages. Normal price is 29 99 but in stock trades price is $17.39. You save 42%. If you have never read any of the Nam comics, especially the you know, first couple of years, uh, which is when I was reading it, they are re- pretty amazing comic books. So check this out. Nam trade paperback, volume three. See, I've always heard
1: it called the nom, not the nam.
2: Oh, don't get me in trouble again about how I pronounce
1: things. The hand, was this hand like,
2: Han Solo, Han Solo. Don't get me started.
1: Robot, robot, all those yes. things. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I brought – the shoe's on the other foot here, Mr. Nuclear. Uh, anyway, so um, I brought Joe Kubert's Enemy Ace Artist Edition hardcover. I, I should just stop there, honestly. I shouldn't have to tell you any more about this because that should be enough right there to get you to buy it. If you have ever read any any – enemy ace comics, you know how exceptional this run of stories were. It's Bob Kaniger and Joe Kubert, who, by the way, are the people that created the comic I'm covering today. Back in 1968, they created a character. They decided to say, all right, what if we told a war story from the other side? So they told about enemy ace, who was a, a World War I German flying ace. And so this collects several issues. Um, one, two, three, four, it looks like five issues. Uh, in you know The artist edition are those really impressive massive hardcovers that reprint the original pages. I mean, they're just stunning. Format is a hard oversized hardcover and the in-stock tra- trades price is only $99.99. So Joe Kubert's Enemy Ace. Now you've read some Enemy a'ce right, Rob? Absolutely. Oh, they're just absolutely stunning. And I, I gotta tell you, I I wanted to cover an enemy Ace comic for War Comics Month for this episode. But then at the last minute I'm like, well, okay, we're celebrating Veterans Day. It'd probably be a little wrongheaded to to focus on a story celebrating a a German war pilot. So So I changed up my tactics a bit. So,
2: (laughs) I mean, he is a veteran. I mean,
1: Technically, no. yes, but not where we were going. So anyway, folks, <laughs> for these and all your tree paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. So folks, also, we need to take a check- second to thank you folks at home for your support through Patreon. Because running the Firewater Podcast Network for so many shows requires a lot of online hosting and other services and things like that. And a while back, we realized we needed some help with the expenses. So we launched the Patreon, and you folks really stepped up to help keep the network going. So if you're enjoying shows like this, the best way to support our network is by visiting uh, Patreon.com slash podcast. And while you're there, consider supporting the Firewater Podcast Network. In a certain sponsorship tiers, you'll get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water shows. Just like these folks.
2: David Ace Gutierrez and Gord Tolton. And again, visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash fwpodcast.
1: All right, soldier. Sounds like uh, we need to take a quick break before we start up our next uh, revelry. Is that fair to say?
2: <laughs> Ten Hut. There's something like 115,000 English-language podcasts in the world, and no doubt, hundreds of them are aimed at the comic book genre.
0: There are sci-fi comic podcasts.
2: Horror comic podcasts.
0: War comic podcasts! But do you know what we need? You guys crazy enough to combine those fields and make a podcast of their very own? Yes.
2: It's the answer to a question no one asked, so that's why we are answering it. Such a gaping hole in the podcast landscape must be filled post-haste.
0: Did you really just use the word post-haste?
2: The Weird Warriors podcast covers the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll also check out other horror and war comics published by DC, Marvel, Charlton, and any other targets that may present themselves to us.
0: I have the war books, and he has the horror books. So if you're ready to take a nice,
1: relaxing look at the hell of war in comic book form from the age of the caveman to the distant
0: future, then report for duty by subscribing to the Weird Warrior Podcast. Brought to you by the Brothers Flea, wherever fine podcasting provisions are issued.
1: Vampires!
0: Aliens! Dinosaurs! Alien dinosaurs! There's something for everyone. General Sherman said, war is hell, but do you know what else is? Weird. For our purposes, yes. So tune in to the Weird Warrior Podcast today. Do it! That's an order! Yes, sir! Don't call me sir, I work for a living.
2: But we're not getting paid
0: for this. Damn. Well,
2: I'm Max. And I'm Rich. And we're going to be bringing you the Weird Warriors Podcast, where we will promise to make war... No more.
0: 50 years ago, Southeast Asia became a home away from home for 2 million Americans as they fought in the biggest, the longest, and most controversial conflict their nation had known since the war between the states. Old enough to kill, but too young to vote, this is their story. Stan Lee presents The Nom. Join me, Tom Panneris, as I bring you an issue-by-issue look at The Nom, the Marvel Comics series that documented the lives of troops in the Vietnam War. Each episode covers one issue of the comic, as well as the history of the war, and I also take the occasional look at movies, music, television, novels, and other culture of the Vietnam War. New episodes drop every two weeks at 2TrueFreaks.com and PopCultureAffidavit.com. None level on
1: the line. Nobody. Ten hut combat, Kelly. It is time to talk about hashtag War Comics Month, buddy. I'm excited. What about you?
2: <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Why would you put me on the spot like that? Yes, of course. I'm here, aren't I? What are you talking about?
1: Well, it was either that or I talked for like five minutes straight. I tried to wanted to give you at least a chance to chime in so people knew you were still there. <laughs> I,
2: I, I do want to mention, this is probably not something most of you know, is that you're going to be talking about a, uh, a you know, a related to the insect Trades pick and what you're about to talk about, that the, I actually went to the Joe Kubert school. I know that's... What? I, I know, I don't I don't like to talk about it, but yeah, so that's my connection
1: to Joe Kubert. <laughs> Let's change the name of this episode to little known facts. Wow. Okay.
2: (laughs) And also, by the way, during the break, I looked up the correct pronunciation of, of Vietnam and it is Vietnam, not Vietnam. So I apologize, everybody.
1: <laughs> As you should. <laughs> I do not apologize for saying nuclear wrong for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so folks, I am covering Our Army at War, issue number 160. Cover dated November 1965. Gosh, you remember that year, Rob? You were in high school. Uh, <laughs> price is 12 cents. Cover is by Joe Kubert. And across the cover, you've got uh, all these Nazi soldiers duking it out with uh, Sergeant Rock and Wild Man and this character you're going to meet Jackie. The Nazis are firing machine guns, bullets are bouncing off of Rock's helmet, uh, but all of the American GIs, they don't have any guns at all. They're just fighting with their fists. So it's a pretty dramatic cover, and it says, what color, I'm sorry, what's the color of your blood? If you think you know the answer, you're going to get the shock of your life. Only Surgeon Rock dares to bring you the battle tale that's too hot for anyone else to handle. Oof, I, it's, uh, this is a big can of worms we're opening here, folks, but it's a w- very worthwhile story. So it is, uh, there's multiple stories in this issue. I'm only going to cover the Sergeant Rock story, and it, it is called What's the Color of Your Blood? It's by Bob Kaniger and Joe Kubert, and it's only 15 pages, but man, it feels like it packs so much more punch. Here we go. The bulk of the story is told during a vicious, bare-knuckle, bloody fist fight. As we join the tale, the Nazis have captured Sergeant Rock and some of his men, including Jackie Johnson, who's a former boxing heavyweight champion of the world. Jackie, who's an African-American soldier, is being brutally beaten by one of the German captors, this bigoted Nazi named Ulan. Now, uh, while he's wailing on Jackie, the Nazi is yelling, Blood will tell! The blood of our master race is red! What is the color of your blood? It's black! Say it! Oh, It's horrible. So Jackie takes blow after blow, refusing to fight back because he's trying to protect his fellow American G.I., Sergeant Rock and Wildman, because Jackie knows if he were to defeat Ulan, the Nazis will just kill all the American captives rather than admit a black man actually defeated a Nazi soldier. So then we're treated to numerous flashbacks, uh, which is leads up to this big beating and where we start, uh, where we see before the war, the rise of Jackie Johnson's career as a professional boxer, his rise to being heavyweight champion of the world, and then his unfortunate loss in the ring to a German challenger, the swastika-wearing racist Ulan. After that, Jackie trained to hopefully face Ulan in the ring again someday, uh, so he could retain his heavyweight champ title. But before he got his chance, World War II broke out, and Jackie ended up serving in easy company. So Jackie ends up saving Easy Company several times, but he always seems haunted by his desire for a rematch with Ulan. Then one day while they're out on patrol, Jackie, Sergeant Rock, and Wildman were all captured by a unit of Nazi paratroopers. Among them was the German Ulan, the boxer who defeated Jackie. So Ulan insists on a rematch with Jackie, taunting him uh, repeatedly with all this racist rhetoric. So then we finally catch up with the beginning of the story where we started, where Jackie's refusing to fight back to protect his fellow American soldiers. But then Rock, Sergeant Rock, begs Jackie to fight back. Finally, Jackie unleashes a fury, knocking out Ulan. Now, as suspected, the Nazis try to kill the Americans to cover up a Nazi losing to a black man. They even try to kill Ulan for his failure in the fight. At that moment, the rest of EC Company arrive. They overpower the Nazis, but not before the Nazis grievously wound their own German shoulder, Ulan, that the only way to save Ulan is with a blood transfusion, and Jackie immediately volunteers to help save the life of the man who's brutally beating him simply because of the color of his skin. In the end, Ulan is saved by Jackie's generosity and Jackie's blood, and the German admits that he was wrong. He acknowledges the color of Jackie's blood is red. Oof! I know it's a long recap, but I just there's so much I didn't want to skip in there because it's a really powerful story. What'd you think of this one, man?
2: Uh, well, okay. I mean, it, brilliantly drawn by Joe Gilbert. I mean, mm-hmm. just—I mean, that's redundant. Of course, it was. You uh, know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, for good sakes. But I mean, even even uh, even by his standards, uh, beautifully done. The fist of cuffs is just marvelous. I love the way he draws the, the, the Ulan, the guy with his cauliflower cauliflower ear. You know, mm-hmm. like he just looks like a goon. Um, I think the ending, where where Ulan kind of like quote unquote learns the 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 wrongness of his ways, is a little like. Mm, really? Because he's yeah. a Nazi. They're not going to learn. We're living in that world now. They don't learn. But you know, this is Robert Kaniger writing a morality tale for a children's audience. I mean, obviously, yep. this comic was meant for children, uh, not little kids, but younger kids. And he's trying to teach them a lesson. So I'm okay with the the slightly pat ending because he's he is trying to teach you know little kids again, not little kids, but you know, younger readers to maybe you can learn the error of your ways no matter how bad you are. Like, even if this guy can change, anybody can change. And so, yeah, typical Bob Kaniger, not subtle, but it's not trying to be in a lot of ways. And so it's very effective. And the other thing I really liked about it, and recent Hollywood movies still have this problem, is the whole... Have you heard of the phrase, like, regarding movies like The Magical Negro? Are you familiar with that phrase? No, I'm not. Okay. In movies... That's a, that's a black character in a movie who shows up to teach the white person the error of his ways. Uh. And it's like, the, 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 you know, it's like uh, Will Smith in The Legend of Bagger Vance. Like, he's literally like a ghost who shows up to teach Matt Damon to be like a better person or like a better golfer or whatever. And becomes a trope where it's like, oh, okay, African Americans don't have any agency in the story. They're this sort of otherworldly figure that's there to teach the white guy the the, the lesson. In this story... The boxer character, Jackie, is the main character. Mm-hmm. He is straight up the main character. It is not a Sergeant Rock story. He's in it, but it is Jackie's story. And that's what I liked about it the most, is that they kind of, for this story, put Sergeant Rock to the side and made Jackie the main figure, which I thought was a brave thing to do, because this is Sergeant Rock's comic, but also just like Bob Kaniger was ahead of the you know the movie industry by 40 years by doing this <laughs> in a 1965 story so i thought it was very effective
1: i would say the the part where ulan changes his mind at the end and says i was wrong your your blood is right i feel like that's almost more tacked on. It's like there's really two messages. There, there is the you can change part, which does you're right, it rings a little bit hollow. But the main message is basically what Canterger's saying back in 1965. He's telling kids that if you're a racist, you're an asshole. Is basically what he's saying. And you know what, Bob, that's a great message to convey and I'm all I'm on board with you, buddy. And it's it's interesting too cuz you got to think about this from the 1965 lens. Like to us well, actually, the racism issue is pretty topical right now. Dude. Mm. But, but for the for someone like you and I, the our upbringing, it's like, yeah, no duh, yeah, racism's wrong. We get it. But in 1965, I mean, you put it in the time frame, rate, frame of reference there, like that's only ten years after Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus. You know, 1965. It's the same year Malcolm X was assassinated. Um, it's the same year that the Voting Rights Act, uh, writing, Voting Rights Act, was enacted, which uh, freed up some of the horrible things that were going on preventing african Americans from, from voting so i mean it was a whole different world and for candiger to put this in a comic in nineteen sixty five, i think that's pretty brave
2: yeah you have to wonder uh whether this issue sold well in certain parts of the country because yeah. they're not they don't hide it i mean the, the as you mentioned the title of the story is right there on the cover it's not mm-hmm. like it's a you know like it wasn't like they were hiding it and just they were assuming we we're going to buy an issue of sergeant rock and then you get the story and you're like if you're bound to be you know if you're offended by it again screw off but nevertheless you know what i mean they, <laughs> if, if if this is the kind of subject you don't want to read the cover is telling you about it right from the get-go which again is kind of a brave thing for dc to do
1: yeah now i, I did a little research on this so th- i i can't claim credit for this insight i found these on some other websites but this story echoes the real life story of joe lewis who's, of course, a famous African-American world, hate, uh, world heavyweight champion. Uh, I didn't realize some of the details of what he had done, though. In 1936 and then in 1938, Joe Louis fought a German uh, named Max Schmelling, and his nickname was the Black Ulan of the Rhine. Uh, and it was the first – this guy was the, um, the, 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 the white German guy, uh, Max Schmelling won the first match in 1936, which the Germans considered proof of the superiority of the Aryan race. Then in the rematch in 1938, Joe Lewis won. And by that time, the fight, like, it took on a life of its own. I mean, there was no social media back then, but there might as well have been. It was it was being touted as, like, basically a symbolic struggle between democracy and fascism. And so you can see Kaniger was really trying to touch on that with the story. I mean, so much of the story overlaps with that kind of idea that is definitely trying to, to touch on that touchstone. And uh, another piece that, again, I... I I can't claim credit for this. I stumbled across this in my research. Technically, black soldiers and white soldiers did not serve side-by-side during World War II. However, as you talked about, Sergeant Rock, you talked about Kaniger trying to teach a lesson. I mean, he was never too... Uh, Kaniger, that is, was never too preoccupied with historical accuracy if it stood in the way of telling a meaningful story that resonated with that modern reading audience. So, in this case, you know, he bent the rules a bit, but I think it's just very, very effective.
2: Yeah, you're not reading... You know, nobody was reading Sergeant Rock comics for... You know, deeply realistic views of how World War Two was conducted. Well, if you, if, if you I mean, read those
1: letters, if you read those letters, pages, some people were.
2: Well, <laughs> like, OK, I mean, I guess you're kind of parking up the wrong track. I mean, good Lord. He was fighting Nazis with iron arms and stuff, you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know I mean, come on. So now my recap focused on the racism issue, certainly. But there are some really great war comic-type moments in this thing. There's like a one part where Sergeant Rock and Wildman, they're just cutting loose, punching their way out of Nazi captivity, which is awesome. Uh, at one point, they're shooting down a German plane with a bazooka. They're, they're firing their machine guns inside of a Nazi Panther tank, killing the crews. But the best part, the best. Um, I, I got to get to the page number here because this is just wow. Uh, here we go. So page, ah, it's not numbered. I don't believe this. Okay. Oh, well, I'll just describe the scene to you, folks. So what happens is there's an overnight, there's a mortar attack. It's just shock, shocks all everyone. And the Nazis have, you know, mortared our guys. And unfortunately, uh, our hero, uh, Jackie Johnson and Wildman were both injured. So Wildman has had his hands injured and Jackie has had his eyes injured. So Wildman can't fire the gun because his hands don't work. Jackie can't shoot the gun because he can't aim. So they actually work together uh jackie holds the machine gun and wild man aims him by telling him where to turn to st- to hold back these nazis it's amazing it's a fantastic war comic moment the art is great you know uh jackie gets heralded as a hero for doing this him and wild man it's fantastic i love that moment
2: yeah page nine it's the part two of the story there you yeah, go Thank what's you. color of your blood thing yeah it's really, <laughs> that would be I mean, again, I know that they're not trying to... They don't want to make war look exciting, but when it's drawn by Joan Cooper, you can't help it. And of course, you know, it would be fun to just grab a machine gun and mow a bunch of Nazis down. So, you know.
1: Right. (laughs) So overall, it was a phenomenal comic. I I have... Been consistently pleased whenever I read a war comic. Uh, since we, I mean, it's only been the last couple of years I've started to read more comics. I've always found amazing stories and been thrilled with them. And this one, I, what I did was in preparation for this episode, I just googled best war story, war comics, and this was on one of the several lists. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a try, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this feels, it resonates today. It, it's powerful. It's Kubert. It's Caniger. This is an absolute win
2: yeah it was really fun by the way i know this is this is uh off topic but i couldn't help it i was looking through the rest of the comic and oh, there's gosh. a there's a second story <laughs> yeah I called know. and the title of the story is jackass volunteer it's <laughs> about a literal jackass it's about a, a you know it's about the animal uh but just seeing that word in a, t- in a 1960s right. dc comic it was just like huh what okay all right
1: (laughs) i'm sure somebody was having a blast doing that so yeah yeah, absolutely
2: we're sneaking this in past the comics code
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh all right (laughs) well uh rob let's move on uh unless you want to talk about the bob hope ad uh no that's all right okay (laughs) then let's move on to your picture all right.
2: Yes. Uh, I decided, you know, we, we didn't, since this is not an episode of Digest Cast, we're not limited to just DC Comics. Every other company did War Comics. It's a, it was a staple of the comics industry for many decades. By the way, uh, you were talking about, you know, other people out there that are that have served and are veterans. And, and um, you know, years ago, back when I used to back when it existed, Tomorrow's had the great comic book artist magazine, which was just chock-a-block with interviews. And I love that magazine. I still have all the issues that I bought, even though they're all, they're all dog-eared and they're falling apart because the staples are, you know, <laughs> desperately <laughs> trying to hold 100 pages together after all these years. Um, but it's so funny when you read these interviews with these comic pros, uh, which unfortunately a lot of them are gone now, for the for like two whole generations of comics pros, being in the service was just part of their life. Everyone yeah, had that experience. Yeah. And they would refer to it in these interviews offhandedly because it was just part of their life. Nowadays, it's very rare. We, we've kind of reversed the trend where I think probably the amount of um, professional comic book artists or comic book pros at all out there that are veterans is probably very, very tiny. Uh, but back then, it was just standard. So it was so funny just to read, you know, these guys talk about, well, I went to art school and then, of course, I was in the war and then when I got back, blah, 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 and you're just like, whoa, you're just skipping over kind of a big thing. Mm-hmm. But it was just standard you know, Kanegar was a veteran. Joe Kubrick was a veteran. They were, these, this is what these guys knew. So that's why war comics were such a huge staple. I mean, DC, as it was shuttering all of its other genres and focusing on superheroes, Sergeant Rock still lasted until like the mid to late 80s, which is yeah. remarkable when you think about it.
1: Well, something else to think about, too, was, you know, comic um, comics were distributed very heavily. To our boys overseas. Uh, they made and them a military very, bases. A big yeah, they made them bases. very available. So, having war comics, you know, obviously there was an appeal to soldiers over there, you know, having the opportunity to read about war comics and seeing some of their favorite heroes out there, you know, doing the same thing they were doing. And so, that I think that's another thing that helped keep war comics alive for so long.
2: Absolutely. Uh, my, my favorite, I well, mean, not my favorite, one of my favorite veterans slash comic book related anecdotes is during the 70s. There were (laughs) there were Archie comics that had a uh, I mean, Archie comics were color, of course. But Mm -hmm. uh, but some there were some Archie comics that had slick papered inserts uh, stapled into the middle of the comic. And they were ads for lingerie for women's lingerie. What? Yes. Yes. I had one of those as, as a kid. I got it as a back issue. And I was like, what? Archie, Archie comics, yeah, an Archie comic. Now it wasn't like explicit, but it was ne- it was definitely you know whim- like oh the projects you know, of Hollywood. Uh, not that, not quite that saucy, but but definitely you know raise your eyebrow for what should be appearing in an Archie comic. And I remember thinking, what the what is this? Like this is strange. And then I read about it many years later online, where someone else had said, hey, I had an Archie comic that has five pages of or four pages because of course it was one piece of paper folded or whatever. Uh, of lingerie ads in the middle. What is this? And I found out later that those were Archie comics that were exclusively sold on military basis. <laughs> and they knew that the audience reading those comics were going to be adults. And they were selling it to men who maybe would want to buy lingerie for their lives.
1: That is amazing.
2: Now you would think those would have appeared in like war comics Not Archie comics, but nevertheless, that's where that's where it came from. I maybe they're
1: maybe they're hoping some of the wives on base were buying it too. I don't know. Maybe,
2: yeah. (laughs) I love that. Oh my! When I read that online, I'm like, oh, that's fantastic.
1: So anyway, that is hilarious.
2: Um, that 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 is a little bit of a segue to what I'm going to be talking about, which is oh, I get it. Okay. My (laughs) my pick is Savage Tales number one, the Marvel magazine. Now this is not the first iteration of Savage Tales that came in the '70s and starred Kazar and Conan the Barbarian, and Call the Conqueror. This is the second iteration edited by Larry Hama, veteran. Um, And it uh, debuted on, you know, and it was covered in the first issue, October 1985. This book was on sale August 13th, 1985. I bought this comic off the stand, which means this is a mountain comic. Oh, no. (laughs) I (laughs) I had completely forgotten that this came out when I was... In vacation on the Poconos, and the of you that listen to my FW Presents series, Mountain Comics, where I talk about comics I bought while on vacation, this is the kind of magazine that never showed up at Seven Eleven at and home, but it would show up at newsstands when I was on vacation. So, and I bought this issue. I bought like the first couple of Savage Tales, and the I bet cover. You did. Yeah, the cover <laughs> Wait,
1: was it was it stacked right next to the Playboys. <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, I think it was the the uh, the 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 painted cover by Michael Golden. Features these two incredibly buxom, scantily clad, gun toting uh, biker mamas with a sort of nebbishy looking guy in a diaper. No, a
1: sh- that's Tidy that's Whitey's.
2: Is it Tidy Whitey's? Okay, yeah, Tidy Whitey's. Yeah. Strapped to the front of his Harley, and their Harley in a kind of Mad Max style. And it is there's a smiley face in the upper corner, and there's bullet holes in it, and the logo is all metal. And so clearly, I would have been fourteen when this came out. I, you know, just old enough that my parents were no longer really paying attention to what I was buying. But if I had left this on the table
1: in the living
2: room, as opposed to say Alpha Flight, it definitely would have caused some some consternation. So I'm sure I bought this and then had to tuck it under the pile of all the other stuff that I bought.
1: I mean, this is Frederick's Hollywood quality lingerie. This girl's wearing. I mean, it's it's racy as hell. And, I mean, I I was a little nervous about my wife seeing me looking at it, because wondering what the hell am I reading? Yeah. But the, the the crazy thing is, I mean, obviously the cover gets you to pick it up. The inside, nothing at all. Like I was expecting, okay, they'll have like one Mad Max war story in here. No, no, no. all historical war stories in this yeah. magazine, and yet you get this Mad Max kind of cover. What the hell? Other than just to get you to sell it?
2: <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean they appeared on later issues too, these these women and their they their sort of camouflage bikini wear. So I think these were kind of like the mascots of of Savage Tales. Bless them. Uh, but but so yeah, I mean uh, this is this was you know their Marvel's attempt uh at, at sort of a, a different magazine. And there's an the editorial here by Larry Hama, and it literally says editorial space filler. <laughs> uh, and he says, I love I love the honesty here. It says here it is, the first issue ever of savage tales. Hope you like it, and if you don't, Zinloy to you and the cat who dragged you in. you won't find any superheroes in these pages. Our characters don't feel guilty about what they do. No long dissertations or philosophy philosophy, excuse me either. What kind of jerk reads a comic book for philosophy? You want philosophy? Read Schopenhauer, Kierkegaard, and Proust. They wrote it good. <laughs> if you like distended, bitter diatribes on the subject of violence never solves anything? You're not going to like savage tales. Violence certainly does solve things. It solved Hitler, didn't it? <laughs> <do you> get- <laughs> fair, fair point, Mr. Hama. What do you get in this mag? A straightforward adventure, rip action, and nifty historical stuff with a few yaks thrown in for extra measure. The staff and I had a ball putting this book together, and we hope you have as much fun reading it.
1: Um, oh my gosh. So- how, how awesome is that?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, one of the other things that I learned over the years, probably against from maybe Back Issue magazine, was that Con- uh, Savage Sword of Conan, the, the black and white magazine, mm-hmm. which was for many years the last remnant of Marvel's black and white magazine line. Because they, they had punched, they published a, a lot of them in the 70s and they all started fading away. For the many years, Savage Sword was the only black and white magazine Marvel still published. And it seemed weird. It's like, God, they would just do this one but this was, again, this was an interview I think I read with Larry Hama where he said, in, in a lot of ways, Savage Sword of Conan was Marvel's most profitable publication. A, because of the price point was higher. It was around $1.50 as opposed to comic books at the time, which were like $0.40, cents, $0.50. Cents. And B, Savage Sword sold to an audience that read no other comic books. None. Mm-hmm. It, it, sold to, it sold to veterans. There you go. It sold to, they said, people in prison. <laughs> uh, it's sold, it sold to an, an older people that were not going to read superheroes. And so I think Savage Tales was clearly their attempt to kind of like grab that audience. And yeah, say, grow, hey, grow, you're, grow that you're, market. Yeah. yeah, you're reading Savage Sword of Conan. You'll probably like Savage Tales as well. And I think that was what the attempt was because this magazine, I like it a lot. But it is so meant for veterans because it has tons of references with no explanation as to what some of these things are. And uh, even now, I'm like, I don't know what they're referring to. But of course, if you're a veteran, you know all this stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. I, uh, I think you're right. It's, it's interesting. Savage Sword of Conan. I, I knew lots of people that read Savage Sword, of Conan, Savage Sword of Conan growing up, and yet they read no comics. They didn't even know anything about superheroes, but they go. read that book. We had one guy, his nickname was Conan, uh, where I worked. Uh, at, at the grocery store because that's what the comic or that's the magazine he read every time it came out he was you know totally into it and didn't care about any of the other comic stuff we were reading so very popular it's interesting when, when i was flipping through this magazine the first thing i thought I was like okay if this thing stuck around they would have got people like chuck dixon writing this magazine i googled it sure enough he's in issue two i think yeah. um or like bo smith would have been great for this thing later too it's it's a man's man is what this magazine is and it's fantastic
2: yeah, it didn't last long. I think it only ran about twelve issues. So obviously it was not terribly popular. But uh, this first issue uh, features some great stuff, and especially the first story that I'm that I, the first mm-hmm. story of the magazine, which I'm going to talk about, which is fifth to the first by Doug Murray and Michael Golden, and we'll talk about them more in a moment. But the, anyway, the, the the plot, such as this, it is, says it's narrated by a Lieutenant Roger Young. Uh, he introduces us to the characters, uh, Sergeant Rich Heidel, the medic uh, Emil Pauly a guy named Bremby, and then other soldiers named Hogan and Duff. And then there was a new kid named Santos, uh, a Puerto Rican from New York, who enlisted because he wanted to prove that he was an American. Uh, the troop comes across a Vietnamese column, and Santos is instrumental in killing them. As a reward, the sergeant puts him in the middle of the line on the way back to the landing zone. Suddenly, when walking through a small village, the U.S. soldiers find themselves being fired upon from all directions, with Charlie seemingly everywhere. Hogan fires a high explosive into the hut. Uh, while his aim is accurate, the explosive doesn't go off. It just embeds itself inside the wall of the hut. Santos leaps into the fray and thrusts his body onto the unexploded bomb, dislodging it from the wall, causing it to explode. That gives Sarge time to throw a grenade, which kills the remaining VC. Young calls for a chopper. He searches for Santos's body, but there is nothing left, not even his dog tags. Later young puts santos in for a medal the sarge suggests a silver star but young holds out for congressional medal of honor and santos gets it young surmises that he doesn't know what makes a hero but he knew one once fifth to the first uh what did you think of
1: this shang seven pages seven pages that's it and it tells an incredible story that you really get wrapped up in. i mean first of all you're never going to go wrong with Michael golden drawings. Nope. Something. So nope. I mean, it is absolutely stunning. This is actually the very first nom story I've ever read. Um, you, you didn't say that. I, I don't think it, it actually says in big letters, the nom 1967. Yeah. Um, I've never actually read any of the nom comics. So this is my first exposure to it. And wow. I mean, if they're all this beautifully rendered and this powerful, and I mean, there isn't a lot of characterization because you just don't have time for it, but you know who the players are. You know their roles. I mean, you know there's the couple stoners. You know there's the tough guy who's uh, very street smart. You know that there's the, the, the medic who's, you know, uh, very kind-hearted. You get all that real quickly. But then the Santos character, you just really feel for him. And when he jumps on that, uh, you know, propelled grenade, oh, my gosh. he just – it's horrible and so bloody and uh, just graphic and, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of struggling for words other than wow, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You lead us through here and I'll chime in. <laughs> all
2: right, yeah. I mean, this was not the first comic book ever to tackle stories in Vietnam. Other companies had done it, uh, but it was still, a, you know, obviously a touchy subject because, um, I mean, all wars are terrible, but uh, it is easier, I would imagine, to write uh, a World War II story, uh a World War One story, maybe even a Korean War story with a little more rah-rah patriotism as opposed to Vietnam, which is just a kind of a dicier subject. And it's, you want to, you know, not simplify, but make it just so like a John Wayne kind of thing, where it's just like John Wayne just regarded all the wars are the same. All wars are great. And like, well, no, you know, we have to, you have to approach this with a little more sensitivity. And of course, Doug Murray and Michael Golden, both who are, uh, were veterans um, approach this with that kind of sensitivity where, you know, it's the, the stuff that Santos does. First of all, I mean, he, the fact that he even has to, uh, you talk about the characterization; it's very brief. We get we yep. get in literal for some of these characters, they get one couple, they get a couple of sentences, and then that's yep. it. Because he said this thing is only seven pages. But the idea that Santos has this sort of chip on his shoulder that he's not treated, uh, at least in his own mind, or maybe back home, that he's a full American because he's Puerto Rican. He's got he he signs up. He talks about that he volunteered to do this, and then he makes the ultimate sacrifice for himself. And there is a lot of hardware talk. Um, there's this bit about this uh, this explosive that gets fired. It has to rotate a certain number of times before it will explode. And it is built that way so you don't accidentally blow yourself up. Exactly. firing it. And the problem is they fire it into the hut and it hits the hut before the, f- the rotations can complete, which causes it to just embed itself. And it is when Santos jumps on it, he dislodges it and it allows the rotation to continue, which causes the explosion. Um but I love the fact that uh, some of the stuff that that Mary, Doug Mary plays upon here in terms of getting rid of some of the, some of the comic book tropes. First of all, no word balloons. There's no word mm. balloons in this whole story. Everything is told through captions. Everything is told by uh, Lieutenant Young, but there's no word balloons. And then, uh, secondly, I love on page two of the story where he says, "All in all, the Saint Sergeant Fury and his Howley commando. There's no <laughs> heroes here." I love that immediately. That it sort of isn't. It's not Doug Mary. Um, like crapping on Marvel work comics, but he's just sort of saying, Hey, look, that is not what this is going to be. Right. If if you bought this comic thinking that's what you're going to read, that's not what you're going to get. And obviously once you get a page or two and you're going to realize, Oh yeah, no, this is, it's got, this is much more serious minded. Um, Artwork wise. Yeah. It's Michael Golden. One of the greatest guys ever to do it. I don't think I've literally ever seen a bad Michael Golden art job. I can't think of a single time I've seen him draw something that wasn't brilliantly done.
1: Well, I, that goes without saying, but but there's some that are better than others, and this is, like, I, I mean, I've read a lot of issues of Micronauts, I've read a lot of stuff, and you know, it's all great, but then there's there's always going to be stuff that's better than others, and this is, I mean, this is art. I mean, this is truly exceptional, uh, gorgeously, because uh, pens- there's no color either, too, by the way, yeah. just reading black and white, you really get a chance to really study the line work. I mean, it's, every panel is stunning, man. It's just gorgeous.
2: His, he manages to make some things cartoony which shouldn't work and yet it does I don't know how he manages to do that because you would think like the faces it, the faces there's a scene where he they uh, they get a they get to the drop on a bunch of uh, VC and there's like you see this one guy in the background and it looks practically like bugs bunny cartoon like the eyes mm. are like woo guy it's I mean it's not that bad but it's close and you would think it wouldn't work and yet it does Second, again we're gonna have some of these pages on the, the website there's no gray tones either it's just uh. black and white and one of the things that golden does with his inking he always inked his own work which is uh, probably best because he actually knew how to do it but he manages to convey incredible depth of field with just the width of his line work and like an example i can give you is on page two of the story where we're introducing the characters and we're introduced to the uh, the medic the one who's praying Mm-hmm. And he's in the foreground and he's got his arm, he's got his fingers folded like he's praying. There's another soldier walking behind him, but he is the way that Golden inks it. He inked it with a, I think a lighter uh, width of pen, which makes the lines on the guy in the background thinner. So you immediately get the sense of depth and knowing what you're supposed to look at in the panel. Yeah. Incredible and really hard to do when you're not dealing with color. Cause when you have color, you can, you know, make the background monochromatic and make the front, you know, full color or vice versa, anything to separate the images. But when you're black and white, you don't have that. But Golden is able to do that in just with just the, the line width. He's, uh, he's able to control with the inking. So this now, thing, now, is, now that
1: you pointed that out, I see that in a lot of the panels, actually. Yep. He's done that in several places throughout yep. the issue. Wow. Yeah.
2: It's absolutely stunning work. And I have to figure that this, I mean, the, the, the nom, excuse me, nom comic book did not start for another year after this there was a, one more installment of fifth of the first in issue 4 of Savage Tales also by Murray and Golden and i have to figure that this led to the non being a regular series they maybe they figured this this really had a uh, the, you know, there's a lot more to do here and so it ended up leaping leapfrogging into its own series and like i said that book ran for like 8 years not drawn by knuckle golden the whole time but uh, i mean it ended up becoming a pretty big
1: deal for Marvel. Well, I remember at the time because I, I had a friend who was a big collector of, of just always following the hot trends, and he had collected GI Joe for years. And within a year of the Nom heading coming out, I mean, he he was like, "Okay, I still love GI Joe, but if I'm if I'm investing for money, the Nom is where I'm investing my money." I mean, he bought a bunch of those specifically as collector's items, um, mm. which is surprising. By the way, I just want to touch back on an earlier point you said about you know whether it was brave or not to to address the the Vietnam story in comics at this point. I mean. My perspective, keeping in mind I'm—I was a kid at this point, right? I was fifteen or thirteen in 1985. But um, the Vietnam wasn't talked about that much in popular media. It seemed like the, the touchstone, at least from my observations growing up, that sort of like opened the gates and said it's okay to tell Vietnam stories was the movie Platoon. Uh, at least from my observations as a kid, and that wasn't for another year. So this is a year before that. Uh, so I I think it was pretty brave doing this.
2: Yeah, you certainly didn't see it in comics at all. I mean, uh, you weren't because comics aren't always necessarily the the greatest uh, medium for uh, subtle subtlety. I mean, it's so it's funny. Larry Hama sort of jokes about you know philosophy. We're not doing that here. Go go read your kicker guard somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> but but this story has a real sensitivity to it in that it doesn't regard what Santos did as you know some sort of ah rah rah go America. It's no, this guy had a sort of score to settle in his own mind and he made it and he had to do it by sacrificing his own life and that final panel of uh talking about we see lieutenant young and he's looking and there's a there's just a um a ripped up boot like that's all that's left of this guy this guy has just been obliterated and then we see an inset of the photo of santos uh that he presumably sends to his dad because it says it's signed i made it dad and says santos and then there's the the Congressional Medal of Honor, attached to it, it's a very powerful ending. And like I said, I was 14, like you. Uh, you know, I had platoon, had not yet come and not yet come. I had seen some, there have been other Vietnam movies before that. Uh, Coming Home in 1978 was a huge film. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, as a, as a teenager, I wasn't engaging with that that subject too terribly much. And this was one of the early instances, especially in a comic book. And it was incredibly, incredibly powerful. And i rereading it again for this it has lost none of its punch. Uh, Even after there's been a million other comic stories and a million other Vietnam movies, it's just really, really beautifully done. And like I said, that's why I liked the nom so much because Murray and golden are just a perfect combination.
1: There's a couple of things I picked up on too. As a, like the first page, I should have mentioned this earlier, the, the the second panel, the guy's talking on the phone, right. You know, calling it in the radio phone, but it's golden takes the time to put the detail in that it's covered with a plastic bag. Because obviously they're yep. wading through water and everything else, but you notice that as a reader, you're like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a pretty minute detail to include, which it just, again, goes to show how much gold we put into this. And then the other thing, you, you mentioned about uh, you know, the reasons and, and patriotism and, and whatnot. You're right. I, I hadn't noticed that either. There is none of that in here. There, there is no point in this issue where they talk about their mission. They don't talk about what they're trying to achieve. They just mention they were drafted. And they're trying to survive, and they're yep. just doing what they're supposed to do. There is no rah-rah America. There is no we're here for this reason or that reason in Vietnam. It's just I was drafted just like everybody else. And we were walking through the jungle, and this is what happened to us. So it, it is sort of different than other war comics we've read where it's not trying to make a big picture. It's just telling one man's uh, one small little guy's story uh, on, and with his big heart.
2: And just seven pages. I mean, it gets mm-hmm. all that done in seven seven pages. Um, these books, uh, these bag, these savage tale stories, as far as I know, have not been reprinted anywhere in full. I mean, this one was reprinted in the trade paper book I mentioned at the top of the show, but the whole series has not been reprinted, uh, which is unfortunate. And just some of the other artists, picky. you can find these very cheap on eBay. Some of the other artists just in this issue alone, aside from Michael Golden, John Severin, <laughs> Herb Trimpy and Gray Morrow. Woo! Just this issue alone. So, I mean, Larry Hama really lined up some amazing contributors for this series.
1: It's gorgeous. I mean, I'm flipping through all the other pages. Just stunning work. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Now, it, now we're obviously we're talking about a Nom story. We should. Uh, you've already heard the promo, but let's give a shout out to Tom Panarese. Uh He actually covered this particular story uh, in his podcast in Country Marvel Comics the Nom uh, in episode fifty five. So definitely if you're really interested in this, check out uh Tom Panarese's work with uh covering that series. Oh
2: yeah. If you like that comic and you do, that's you can't go wrong with Tom's show because it's the deep dive on that series.
1: Yeah. So well, Rob, another war comics month behind us, buddy. I mean, I am gonna read some more war comics. I I'm probably gonna read some uh War That Time Forgot because I love Dinosaurs Fighting Soldiers. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily qualify as hardcore war stories, but darn it, I count it anyway. I love them so much. <laughs> Any other war stories you might dive into this month?
2: I have to say, I really do want to go find some Combat Kelly and his Deadly Dozen
0: story. <laughs> I really want to
2: read that. Uh, I don't know if they've been reprinted anywhere. I might have to get them off of eBay and just buy the original issues. But uh, that, that just, uh, I don't know, that that name appeals to me so much that I think I want to give that a shot.
1: I love it. you should. You absolutely should. So, folks, uh, go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. This is appears under the FW Presents feed. Leave your comments there. Tell us either about these stories that you've read, uh, these particular ones, or mention some other war comics you love, or maybe some more comics you're reading right now. And while you're out on social media on Facebook and Twitter, you can find us at Firewater Podcast, of course, and use the hashtag War Comics Month this month, all through November. Read some more comics, celebrate them. And uh, also take some time to say thank to a veteran on Veterans Day, please. So I think that's going to do it, Rob. Anything else you want to say?
2: No, I think that's going to do
1: it. All right. At ease, soldier.
0: Duty. That's how they got us. Sacrifice. That's what they expect of us. Feelings. Those you try to lose. Fear.
1: That you can't forget.
0: Friendship.
1: Sometimes you just have to work with what you got.
0: It's not just a war. It's their tour of duty. Thursday on CBS.